today on The Breakdown. It's day one of a tournament, and here you are, Johnny Regular Guy, sitting on the button, and you got this dude on your right who's an experienced player. He's got a podcast. He's a known player. He's got winnings. He's in the Hendon mob. He opens, and you just feel you, you can't just let him run you over, and you're going you're gonna to try and play back at him a little bit. But the problem is these guys, they don't just let you do that to them. You know, Sometimes they make you make tough decisions. And right here, well, we're going to have a really tough decision for sure. And uh, that's what's going to happen. I don't know, man. <laughs> Not only that, we're going to talk about the coronavirus in poker. And we're going to do it right now on The Breakdown with Grant Dennison and Jonathan Levy. That was great. Yeah, it was that, wonderful. We, is that even? I it's don't know. fine. It's fine. Okay. So it, that's a tough opening. To let's, do. let's clarify what's happening here. <laughs> great idea. So Jonathan was was talking from the perspective of an amateur player, and Johnny, regular guy. Yeah, his name is Rudy. He's going to be in the hand we talk about. He's going to be against David Lappin, who is the host of another poker podcast called the Chip Race Podcast, along with Dara O'Kearney. Yeah, and, and we're actually on their most recent, which episode. has been released today, yeah. or is being released later today. It's being released sometime during the same twenty four hour period that this podcast is being released. Yeah, so we're doing a hand that David Lappin played, and he also helped interview us on his podcast. Right, because we were guests on that podcast. That's, that that's called Synergy, people. It's called Collaboration, people. So yes. we're doing a hand. Yeah, we're going to do that hand. But before we get to the hand today, and by the way, this, this hand was suggested by David Lappin and Darrow. Okay? <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you have a suggestion for the breakdown, tweet it at us, include a YouTube link and a timestamp. Our Twitter is, of course, and, uh, two poker guys. You'll, you're more likely to get your suggestion through if you interview us on your poker podcast. <laughs> that is true. Yeah. That is true. It's more likely. But uh, still, you know, you have a good chance to get your suggestion through anyway if you give us a good hand. Yeah, you do. Uh, but poker in general is in a state of disarray right now along with the rest of the world. Yeah. Due to the novel coronavirus, they call it, Jonathan. Yeah, and just to give everyone a sense, because I know not everyone listens to this on the release date. So what's, where we are in the world right now is um, it's the morning of, or the afternoon, I should say, of like March 13th. We are like, recording this on March 12th. There we go, March 12th. Last night, the NBA, the National Basketball Association, suspended all games because one of the players tested positive for coron- coron- coronavirus. Excuse me, The president of the United States... Um, shut down travel from Europe to America for any non-American uh, or, no, or non-green card holder, I believe, for the next several weeks at least. 30 right? days. 30 days, okay. Um, so a lot has happened, at least on, on this side of the pond. Crypto's recently. tanking, stock market's tanking. Everything is, uh, everything's happening right now. And so we're going to, of course, not look at the whole, the whole thing. We're just going to talk about it from a point of view of playing poker because that's what this is, the poker podcast. If you want to hear more about you know, the science of it, you should go somewhere else. Yeah, there's we're not tons scientists. of content out there about yes. that. But we're the poker guys, so we're going to talk about the poker element of this. Because there is a legitimate one. Like This is one of the things you can do, one of the activities you can do that would be most conducive to spreading coronavirus right i mean yeah so let's let's take it from a top-down approach starting with yeah. pure poker and then ending with like how should you proceed as a poker player good so it's been at least a month now that people have been talking about the potential for the world series of poker to be canceled has it been that long yeah i think so maybe it's been two or three I weeks it's been two or three weeks either way that has not officially happened as of the no. recording of this podcast but it's feeling more and more like that's going to happen right jonathan yeah at this point like they're now banning um, a bunch of cities major cities in the u.s are banning gatherings of 250 or more people obviously the world series of poker gathers thousands of people all the every day from all around the world i don't see how they could reasonably 
plan on that. I would guess that they're going to delay it at least. Probably not, probably not completely kill it, but delay it, even though they may have issues with when else they would do it. Harris makes so much money off the WSOP. I'd be surprised if they completely cancel it. Yeah, but, but delaying it like four or five months isn't. It seems unlikely me. that it's going to happen in June and July. Like it at does this point, it, it looks unlikely. And you know, for those of us who are still planning on going, if they do delay it, like one of the greatest outcomes in my mind is if they delay it to December or January. Yeah, and we get to leave the winter of the Pacific Northwest over here, where we where we live, and go to Vegas then instead of leaving the paradise of the Pacific Northwest in the summer to go to hellhole desert Vegas. I'll, I'll tell you what, if they delay it into the winter. And there's going to be a huge push. Everyone's going to be like, from now on, from now on. And they're going to not want to do that. But we're yeah. going to all be like, you of course, have they, to. Have it, they have it in the summer because they're trying to attract people to Vegas when it's hell. Yeah. It's and hell it in the summer. Yeah. So I think it's not going to happen. But even if the World Series does happen, yeah. I don't think I'm going to go. I mean, are I'm you going to go? I'm not going. Yeah. I mean, there's th- no way I'm going. And if it does happen, there's no way they're having the millionaire maker, right? They're not having a $1,500 tournament guaranteeing a million dollars for first place. I don't think, I, I imagine they will get rid of all guarantees if they run the event or the guarantees will be incredibly doable and makeable for them. You right. Know? Um, so yeah, they've, they've done more and more guarantees. Actually, the 888 has a guarantee. The millionaire maker has a guarantee. Sometimes the main event has a guarantee. I mean, that's rare. Yeah, but you know, there's but there's other things too with guarantees. I just imagine guarantees in poker tournaments are just going to go if they if they have poker tournaments at all. They're just I don't see how anyone can do guarantees right now. Right. So get ready for that. Um, but maybe there's a bigger question, which is like, yeah, you're not going to go. I'm not going to go. Kind of no matter what at this stage, right? Yeah. So it's I imagine Vegas is just a place no one's going to go to for a well, while because that's a pretty bad place. To I want to clarify. There is a chance, like if they don't if they don't delay it and then. For from some miracle, coronavirus is mostly eradicated from the world yeah. by June. Then, then probably I'll go. Okay, yeah. fair enough. And yeah. I'll probably go for a little while. Yeah. Um, but we have to know it's eradicated by June. That feels incredibly unlikely. It does. It as does. here we are in the middle of March. Right. You know? So I'm personally, you know, kind of excited to like have my whole summer in a, you know, in a nicer climate than Vegas. Personally, and I always hate being in Vegas for five or six weeks. But the value, Jonathan. Yeah. It's okay. There's value everywhere. Well, although there won't be, and this is the other thing to talk about. And the top about, end right? value is not there yeah, everywhere else, of course. Like yeah. you can't win a million dollars everywhere else playing yeah. a fifteen hundred dollar tournament against mostly bad players. Yeah. Which even if it does go on, I, I worry that the majority of the the fields will be tougher. I think if it does go on, and the people who feel like uh, I play poker for a living, I have to go, are the people who go, and not yeah. just the recreational players. The or recreational the people who players. live in Vegas, yeah, already, and most of those guys are pros, right? Yeah. So, most like, either way, a lot of the value is going to be wiped out for those who are seeking value at the World Series of Poker, in my opinion. I think it's a really good point that I hadn't thought about. Really good point. Okay, so the World Series of Poker off our calendars, almost certainly. Yeah, the poker guy is probably not going to be there. Not and going to pr- be taking pictures with you. Yeah. Um, but probably it won't happen anyway, so don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's probably going to get canceled like everything else. Right. Uh, okay. So let's talk about it more in terms of like right now. So uh, we're in the Pacific Northwest where there has been a, a bit of a cor- coronavirus outbreak comparatively to the rest of the United States, right? Well, yeah, which is still to say there's like, what, 150 confirmed cases or right. something. And yeah. it's actually in Seattle, which is three hours away from here by yeah. car. There's like a few cases by where we are as of right now that are known. Right. I mean, what does that really mean? I don't know. In a week, I have a feeling those numbers are going to be yeah, different. Like 80% of cases are mild, so those are unreported. Yeah. It's, it's probably all over the place. But, but anyway, so um, this has been an interesting thing for me because so for the last week, I've, I played three times last week. And each time I actually like wore surgical gloves as I played. I was the only person in two of the three venues wearing gloves. And the other one, one of the guy was wearing gloves also. 
Um, and I was playing cash two of the times and played a tournament the other time. And I was, I will say, I really was struck by, I was shocked that no more people weren't taking more obvious precautions is really, really surprising to me. I thought every time I would go, I walk in with my gloves already on. I'm like, clearly I'm obviously going to be one of many people. And I never was, you know, it was one other guy once and me each time. And that was really surprising to me. Well, let's talk about why that is. Okay. And then talk about how people should take action. Sure. Um, And I think there's a general thought and part of it is a little bit of self-soothing thought, but it's true as well that if you're a healthy younger individual, you know, if you're under 60 and you're relatively healthy, you don't have pre-existing conditions, it's very unlikely that the coronavirus is going to be anything worse than the flu for you. Sure. Which is something that a lot of people used to justify going about their daily lives as normal and not making any adjustments. And I understand that perspective and it's a comforting thing to think as one of the people in that demographic. But that's not what it's about. If you're really going to be a person who tries to go about this the right way, I think you should care about limiting your exposure because of people who are at risk, not just elderly people, but also there's a lot of people you wouldn't know who are at risk who are people with asthma, diabetes, heart conditions. And it's a little bit of, I think, and this is just my opinion, I'm not speaking for Jonathan, but I think there's a social responsibility to, to not change your life entirely, but take, take minor precautions at the very least in order to inhibit the spread and, and try to help those people at the very least. And, and also, I think it's easy to get caught up in the notion, and I've heard lots of people say what you just said, which is like, well, it's probably not going to hurt me. Like, I'm probably going to be okay even if I get it. But there's a lot of external things that happen if you were to get it, right? One of the things is um, you might be quarantined in some way or another. Yeah. Um, another thing is you might give it to a lot of other people, some of whom you care about, some of them you don't. Um, some of them may give it to yet more people. This is how these things spread. And some of those people may be old or may be sick or may have asthma or something like that. Also, just by spreading it, and this is something that's been in the news a lot lately, um, the concern is basically what happened with the Spanish flu, where there, if you take two case cities, there was St. Louis and Philadelphia, and one of them, I think it was Philly, they didn't do anything to limit the spread, and the death rate jumps like really, really high at one point because the hospitals get overwhelmed. Um, Right, so the people who do need care aren't receiving care. And it isn't even just people dying from that, although that's the only thing they're talking about. Like, if you get hit by a car and there's no doctors available and no beds, guess what? You're screwed, right? Or somebody's screwed, often you. Um, You don't get the kind of care you would normally get, and maybe maybe you die, or maybe you are hurt in a way you otherwise wouldn't be. This is a real problem. Um, St. Louis, by the way, they did all the things right, and, and they actually never hit any major problems with it and that the death rate stayed much lower as a result because the hospitals were never overwhelmed. This is a real thing. This is happening in Italy right now as we speak where they are overwhelmed and they have to pick between who gets to live and who gets to die. We shouldn't have to, like, we should try and help stop that from happening. Right, and I know you could easily think, well, I'm 36 or whatever age you are and I'm healthy, so it's not going to be me who needs that hospital bed. But of course, it could be your grandma. What if you get cancer? What if if you get sick with something else? What if you get sick with this after all? And you have an underlying condition you're not aware of. Or what if someone you love gets sick? Or just other people in general who you don't know. Those people count too. All this to say on our soapbox here that it is... In a way, even if you're not vulnerable to the disease in the way that others are, it's, you can still affect those people. And, yeah. and that should weigh heavily on your conscience if you're taking no steps at all to prevent the spread. I think it matters. Grant thinks it matters. It's, you, you get to, everyone gets to make their own individual decision about this, ultimately. We don't really know what it's all going to look like. All we have is guesses. But we've seen what it looks like in other places. And there's no real reason to think, I, I imagine, that it would be any different here if we don't take 
different kinds of precautions. Right. So all this to say that the way that I'm applying this thought process in the foreseeable future is I'm not going to be playing live poker. Yeah. Because of all of the places I could imagine going, playing live poker is one of the worst places I can imagine. A crowded gym is probably worse because it's spread through respiratory function and hard surfaces, and you're touching all the same hard surfaces in the gym, and everybody's breathing heavily. Yeah. So the gym is probably worse, but poker tournament is... And poker cash games are a close second. There's, I mean, if you are just touching everything normally and touching your face at the same rate you normally do, which you probably are if you're not thinking about it, uh, the points of contact you have with other people is kind of insane, you know? Like, the dealers... I mean, I guess it depends on where you're playing and how they do it, but most dealers, like, bring their decks with them and stuff like that. So you're actually not just even touching... You're not just sharing, you know, sweat with everyone at your table. You're often sharing sweat with everyone in the card room, effectively. You're, you know, there's points of contact there. Right. The chips aren't just on your table. They often get moved to other tables and back and forth. You're touching a lot of the same surfaces. It seems like one of the... As Grant's saying, one of the worst possible places you could be. Now, I was wearing gloves, and I was wearing gloves mainly just to remind myself not to touch my face, and they really did help. But ultimately, I don't think that's a good enough solution either. So I've decided I'm not playing. I didn't play on Monday. I'm not playing today. These are normal days for me when I would go. Um, it's a very good game for me. Let me tell you, like, it's very profitable, and it hurts me a little bit not to go right now, especially with the financial markets all tanking. But still, it just seems completely... It seems like a bad idea to go. And so I'm just hashtag staying the fucking side for a while, you know? Hashtag and, staying the fucking side. Yeah. 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 That's good um, stuff. And it just seems like... It feels like the right move. Um, I think everyone's going to make their own decisions about this. I think if you were to go play uh, live poker, you should do your very best to wear gloves, maybe wear something on your face. Not so much so that way you don't breathe something in, but as much to remind you not to touch your face because that, that point of contact is the biggest, the biggest piece. Yeah, so that's the poker guy's take is, you know, I think we'll have some more information pretty soon about yeah. how this is going to progress and we can know what the plan is with live poker. But in the meantime... Doesn't seem like a necessary thing to do to play live poker. I mean, if they're going to cancel, they they basically they just suspended the National Basketball Association for the foreseeable future. They're very likely to cancel other the biggest the biggest event in the world every year, the NCAA tournament, where more people go to than anything else. I'd be shocked if they don't cancel that. They're already announced they're playing it without fans there, but I I would guess they're going to cancel it entirely. It's just this is a very unusual time, and I think we should take unusual steps. Yep. Sucks. Honestly, it really sucks. Of course it sucks. We just have to, you know, we just have to buck up and have our, keep our chin up and get through this. It's, we're going to go through this for a few months like this, it looks like. That's, it's okay. Like, we have worse things in our lives than this. Crypto and financial markets suck, too. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's brutal. So rough. But yeah. I think, ultimately, that's all probably going to come back. It just may take a while now, and, you know, it's, it's too bad, but we're just all going to have to take these hits. Yep. I mean... If you want to play live poker, it doesn't mean you're a bad person or anything. No, of course not. It's just, you know, you're, you're a little risky there. It's a little risky. You're, you're you know, we were talking about, so the reason why the National Basketball Association suspended their games is because one of the players tested positive for coronavirus. His name is Rudy Gobert. And he jokingly, before he had tested positive, when everyone was already very aware of all this stuff, started touching all the reporters' microphones and then touched all of his teammates' hands and, think, and, and possession stuff, sort of jokingly, you know, to spread it, but kidding around. Turns out he did have it, and he did spread it. And at least one, and it looks like two of his teammates have it now as well. This kind of, and some of the reporters who cover him have asthma and are older and have other conditions. And, like, 
there's there's a non-zero chance that Rudy Gobert is going to sleep at night, you know, last night and tonight, thinking like I may I may end up killing someone having done this. Yeah. Like that's rough, man. I don't yeah. like I would never want that in any tree. Conscience. The tree, like you might be like, well, I only interact with my friends and they're all young and healthy too. So how could I kill anybody? But there's really a tree. It like really yeah. it, it branches out. You, know? you give it to your friends, they give it to their parents, they get the parents give it to their friends, people start dying. Like that may sound crazy, but look around. That's kind of what's happening right now, right? Yeah. And it's it's still not it still hasn't gotten completely out of control. But I don't know. As soon as when the NBA suspended games for me, that was a big moment for me of like feeling like the world has changed. Like that's never happened before, you know. Yeah, temporarily changed. Yeah, yeah, right. We don't have to worry about the apocalypse or anything. This is not. Yes, we don't have to right. over. We we don't need to like sound the alarm and overstate everything. This is this is not. Ebola spreading like this. No, no, of course right? not. You but the, maybe, maybe change is the wrong word. Maybe shifted is the right yeah. word. But we're in a different phase right now. And it's, I think it's, imp- I mean, everyone's going to do what they're going to do. But for me anyway, I feel really clear. Like, I want to go play poker. It's an incredible spot. I don't want to stop. And I'm going to stop anyway. And it sucks, but I'm doing it. So let's talk about some live poker. Yes. Let's get to the hand. <laughs> let's get to the damn hand. For those who forgot, we are going to talk about a hand that David Lappin played, who is the host of one of the two hosts of the Chip Race podcast, along with Daryl Kearney. Yeah. And uh, they are currently letting out an episode like a fart with, uh, with us as guests. That is true. And the reason why, by the way, is because we went on their show to talk about many things poker, but including our book. We yeah. How can you fold? Which is, you know, 37 tournament hands broken down decision by decision. And we don't talk anything about the coronavirus in that book. Not a single guilt-ridden moment <laughs> no. or page. No, it's 37 tournament hands broken down in text conversations between me and Jonathan. We think it's really fun. We also think you can learn from it. Absolutely. You gain a lot of knowledge while being like, ha, 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 what a great time. I'm having the time of my <laughs> life over here reading this book. This is, Look at me go. Like, woohoo! It's like that. You can get it at the pokerguys.net that is in the description of this podcast. You can get the Amazon paperback by going to Amazon through that link. You can also just buy the ebook right there on the website. You should do it. You should do it now. You definitely should do if it. If you're going to be stuck inside, you might as well have something to read, right? I agree. I mean, I'm all about reading anyway. I love to read, Grant. I mean, <laughs> back of cereal box doesn't count, Levy. Oh. But, you know, I've always been impressed with the backs of the cereal boxes. You know, they're actually sort of more fun to read and more compelling than one might think. Is that why you eat too much cereal? I don't know why I eat too much cereal, man. <laughs> anyway, um, hey, here's a review from James from Amazon. He says, like the podcast, but better. If you've ever listened to Grant and Jonathan's podcast, then it's essentially the podcast minus the 10-minute opening about random ideas and the Nitrogen Sports ad read. The actual poker analysis is a lot more concise in the book than in the podcast and improves their analysis overall. It also makes it easier to understand. He talks about how great the layer, layout and formatting of the book is. He's read some poker books that look like trash. Not so far for this book. If you're on the fence about buying the book, then listen to a couple episodes of the podcast and see if you like it. If you like the podcast, you're probably going to like the book too. That's for sure. That is accurate. Also, he's touched on something that we don't always talk about, which is how nice the book looks. It is pretty. Yeah, we, we got a really good people to do the design work, and we're happy about how it came out looking. We think it's one of the better-looking poker books on the market, if not the best. Yeah. So if you like aesthetics, just look at the pictures. I mean, we're, we're currently, we have 38 customer ratings. We got 4.8 out of 5 stars on Amazon. That's no joke, people. That's a legit amount of stars. Go buy that book. Buy it, buy it. All right. David Lappin. David Lappin. All right. We are on day one of the European Deep Stack. It is a 500 euro buy-in. So the way Jonathan opened this thing was talking from David's opponent. Yeah. 
It's also interesting from David's perspective as a pro who's trying to navigate these fields early on, which is something that many of us deal with on a daily basis, playing these 500, 1K, 1,500 tournaments. And there's a lot of, as they used to call them in the World Series of Poker Main Event, landmines that you have to deal with. Mm. How do you proceed should you be proceeding the way David did right. in this hand? So let's get to it. Okay. All right. So it's 500 and 1K are the blinds. David is in the cutoff. He's actually in the hijack, but the cutoff has left the table to get a soda or something. And uh, David has 133K in his stack, 133 blinds, opens king six of spades to 2200. Seems fine. Yep. His opponent is named Rudy with an I on the button. So not the guy from the movie. Well, he might have changed his identity just by changing the, the letter from a Y to an I. Okay. I, it's hard to follow that, but sure. Change his identity? Yeah. He he's, just changed his name? Now he's Rudy instead of Rudy. That would be changing his name. Not his that, no, no, because he embodies a new persona. You know that Rudy with a Y is a different guy than Rudy with an I. Actually, I do know that. Rudy with a Y is the guy from that thing. Rudy with an I is in like a Guy Ritchie movie, killing people. Hmm. I guess. Yeah. He's a, he's a footballer. A rock and roller. All right, let's get back to it. All right, so Rudy, who we believe is an amateur, we don't know for sure, but we haven't seen him before. He's playing a 500-euro buy-in on day one, and he kind of appears like an amateur, and the size of his three-bet is rather amateurish. Has two sevens, two red sevens on the button. He decides to three-bet if he knows that David's a pro. That's fine. That seems like the good thing to do. I mean, it's fine to call, honestly, when you're this deep in position, but But it's fine to three But if you know that David's a pro and you're just some guy, it's probably Mm -hmm. good to pump up the variance a little bit, especially when you have a hand that rates to be better than David's hand. Okay. So he three bets, but he makes it 5.4K. This is a terrible... Over 2,200. Terrible sizing. This is 2010 sizing. Yes, it is, actually. This is what people were doing in 2010. I can't believe this used to work at all, but it did in 2010. And then everyone did start doing math and realized... Now people are a little bit too math conscious to ever fold any part of the range. Pretty much. I mean, how can you fold? How can he fold, I ask you, Grant? I mean, there's already 2,500 in the pot from the blinds, and then you've put in 2,200, Then there's another 5,400 in there. It's an incredible price. It's 3.2 to win, like, 10,000. Yeah. And you have... And you're deep, so if you... You know, you don't have to, like... It's okay. You can get away from certain hands. You know, you can get away from one pair of hands later in the hand if you want, but you're deep enough that, like, man, if you hit a big hand, you could really hurt this guy, especially with his sizing lets you think, like, he might give away more chips... You know, if he's got aces or something like that, yeah. or queens, he might give away just a huge amount. I think calling might be better than this sizing if you're going to three bet. Oh, yeah. I think for sure it is. What would you size it at if you were going to be Rudy and three bet two sizes um, here? He made it 2.2. I'd probably make it like 6.6, 6.8, maybe on 7. Depth, based on depth of stacks, I was going to go 7,500. That's fine, too. Because the effective stack is 133 blinds yeah. here. I mean, when we're three betting sevens, sure, there's some value there. It's rates to be the best hand, but we also would love to generate some fold equity. There's a ton of bad flops for two sevens. No question about it. Um, I would assume that when we make it, uh, if I get to like 6.8, 6.6 to 6.8, maybe I'm wrong about this, that we're going to fold out a lot of the crap uh, anyway. And if that's not true, then we need to make it a little more. Like king six of spades. Yeah, I don't know what I don't know what, what do you think King Six Spades does if we make it seven thousand or sixty eight hundred? I think it probably just folds. I think it probably should fold. Yeah, so that's so then that's fine. Then then I think then that makes the sizing okay. If it's if it's definitely calling, then we probably need to make it a little more like yours. Yeah, I think obviously seventy five hundred is a perfectly good number too, though. Like 
These are all fine. 5.4. Like I've been, we've both been in this spot many times. I mean, the amount of times I get three bet to a piddling size and I've opened with some weak, ridiculous hand and I now have to call and win the hand because this person forced me to see a flop when I would have absolutely folded for sure if they could have just raised any to any normal amount is like incalculable the amount of times. To be happened. fair, as David here with the King Six of Spades, you're a little annoyed because you're like, oh, I have to put more money in with yes. this hand. That sucks. And sure, I guess that's a good thing to make your opponent annoyed when you're playing poker. No. But the result for you is bad enough that it's not a profitable venture. It's worse for Rudy than for David. They're, they're start 133 blinds deep. So this costs David an extra three blinds. It's not going to affect his stack to f- check fold the flop. You know what I mean? It's not that big a deal. Right. So... As a result, all that's happening is Rudy's giving David a chance to win a big pot off him instead of giving him much less of a chance by making it bigger, you know? Right. So I think that's... So it it's clearly hurts Rudy a whole lot more than it hurts David. I agree. Folds back to David. Who calls? Yeah. I don't see how you could possibly fold. You can't fold. You could raise. Yeah. You can't fold. Right. Calling is fine, though. In fact, I would... If it's an amateur, I would always default to calling. Right. I mean, unless you had a really big hand. Of course. No, yeah. I mean, with this hand. With this hand, I would, I would always default to calling. Yeah, if I was up against Scott Seaver, well, he would never size it like this unless it was 2010. But uh, I would consider re-raising against a guy like Scott Seaver, who's going to be much wider. Right, of course. Well, the pot is now 13.3K. Mm-hmm. And the flop is eight of spades, five of clubs, deuce of hearts. Pretty damn good flop for two sevens. Looks like it really we've is. gotten bailed out by the flop, you know? Yeah. Feels great. It does. I mean, we could definitely be losing here. There are lots of ways we're losing. But still, this is pretty good. David checks. Yep. Sure. Rudy should bet, right? I think so. I mean, it's hard to find a better flop for this hand. Solver agrees. Wants Rudy to bet 92% of the time. Good. Surprised it wants him to check even 8% of the time on this board with two red sevens. So vulnerable. All I can think of is it's just doing some balance of like this board often misses me. So I have to check some of my reasonable hands too, not just my ace highs and king highs. Yeah. But in practice, I think I'm betting this more than 92% of the time. I think so. Just because, like, there's so many bad cards. You have to deny equity. Yeah. You have to. And you can get called by worse, you know. So sometimes you're going to get folds from overcards. Sometimes they're going to call, and you're going to be a 75% favorite, and both are fine. Sometimes you're going to get called by a five or pocket fours, pocket threes, pocket, pocket sixes. sixes. Yeah. yeah. Straight draws. Yeah. It's all fine. Yep. So Rudy is going to bet. Love it. Mm-hmm. Bet's 92%. No, sorry. <laughs> Doesn't bet 92%. Bet's 5K. Got stuck in solver. I like there. that he down betted. I wouldn't have expected that from Rudy. I'd expect him to bomb the shit out of it, honestly. (laughs) Although it is not such a down bet, but still a down bet. It's a down bet of any kind. I would have expected him to bet. I guess he did already three bets small, so he's in the small sizing camp. All right, so David folds. And that's the hand. So more coronavirus. Nah. Nah, David doesn't fold. Now, I suppose David could call. I think he could call. He does have two back doors. He's got two back doors and over. It's cheap and they're still deep. He could absolutely fold. It's way better to be in position and call, of course, than, yeah. to, uh, than to be out of position. David could absolutely fold. Yes. would be fine. Just, you know, we lost 5.4K. Who cares? Let's get this guy it another time. doesn't matter. There's going to be a million spots. And that's a huge part of this hand that we haven't really talked about. It is day one. Yeah. You know, it's early day one. There are a ton of easy players to play against in the field. We don't need to put ourselves in tough spots, right? I would think... I think I would just check fold right now. Yeah, me too. It's 5,000. Who cares? Like, as you just said... If this guy's as bad as it seems like he is, if he's going to three, me to three bet me to this sizing, like I'm going to eat this guy alive over time. Like, there's no need to do anything cute here. I'm done. That's yep. what I would do. Well, 
David is not one to give up a pot, I suppose. It doesn't seem like it. I'll say that based on what he's about to do. He raises yeah. to 19.3K. Yeah. And I am of two minds about this. Hit me. One, he's not repping a lot of things. From a game three perspective, combinatorially, it's a little bit problematic. He's repping 8-8, deuce, deuce, maybe 8-5 suited. Yeah. He's probably got 8-5 suited in his range. I think so. Yeah. Um, Which is Maybe he could check raise pocket aces here. Maybe. But that's... But he's it. most likely going to forbid that preflop. Yep. And I guess you could say the same thing about pocket kings, but both things you could say about pocket kings. Right. So, like, there's 11 combos that make good sense. Mm-hmm. The sets and 8-5 suited. Okay. Uh, but that's it. Right? Other than that, it's you're bluffing or you have an open ender or a gut shot, which yep. is a semi-bluff. Yeah. So that's not ideal, I don't think. Turns out you have... Yeah, you're, I guess in this case, we're just bluffing. We're not the open end or the gut shot. Yeah. No, we so don't. I, those are also bluffing, but yeah, those are semi-bluffs. Semi-bluffs. Sorry, go ahead. So that's not ideal. It's not. But and on top of that, though, it might not matter against some of the players in this field. You might think, okay, I can, I can play bully ball in this field at this stage in this tournament, and this pot is basically mine because this guy rarely has something he can continue with, and I'm going to just take it down. I mean... I hear that, but if I think about it, really, like, we sort of have the wrong hand for that, don't we? Like, yeah. we have a king in our hand. Like, the most likely hand that is going to three bet and then bet fold is ace king. Yep. We have a king. So that's not good. I guess ace queen could do it too. Fine. Yeah. Ace jack, maybe. Sure. But ace king's the most likely. Like, he might be calling with ace jack and ace queen for all we know. Right. Ace king, he's almost certainly going to three bet. And yeah, he can fold, but we block it there, right? So... I don't know. It doesn't seem like the best time to do it either. Like, it's cool we have two back doors, but we're going to have two back doors a lot of the time. Yeah. And it's, like, easy to have two back doors. We're often going to be able to play in position rather than out. I don't know. Like, that's to me, it's just another reason to not make this play right now. Yeah. I think I default towards not making the play also just from, like, the meta reason for making the play might be this guy's an amateur. I, yeah. can, I can bully him. He cares a lot more about this tournament than I do. Yeah. So he's going to fold too much. Sure. That might be what David's thinking. But at the same point, you're one of the better players in the field probably right now. You might as well take your edge where you have an easier way to make that edge work for you. You know, instead of just like kind of taking a stab and hoping the guy doesn't have something to continue with. It feels like we're sort of playing Russian roulette with this check race. Yeah. And I just don't know why we need to do that against what feels like an amateur who's going to make a lot of mistakes. Like, why don't we just let him make mistakes and collect easy pots? This feels like we're making this a tough pot on ourselves. Now... As it turns out, our opponent has a hand that we may get some folds from, either now or down the line. He's got pocket sevens. There's already an overcard. He doesn't have queens. Right. right. But if he has queens, I don't know. Is he ever going to fold? I don't know. Maybe not. I don't know. And he's probably not going to fold sevens quite yet, unless he's really tight. Yeah, he'd have to be pretty tight. So David does race to 19.3K. Mm-hmm. I kind of like the sizing. He at least gives himself a decent amount of fold equity. The guy's not going to call with ace-king too often or ace-queen. Agreed. No, so. agreed. The sizing is good. But Rudy has two sevens. I mean, here's the thing about having two sevens. I'm not saying you should fold, but you are blocking the most obvious straight Yeah, you block six, seven. Which sort of sucks. That does suck. Still, there's only those 11 combos that make sense of value. Yeah. Right? And, like, we don't really think David's raising an eight or a five. I would never think he's raising a lone eight or a lone five. Seems super unlikely. Correct. It seems like a really bad idea in general to do. Right. So... Yeah, it seems like still the value is a bit too thin to justify folding, even though we do block the most obvious straight draw. I think if we just think about it from the point of view of hands that we three bet and then C bet, we probably have enough folds that we get to keep pocket sevens in there. Yeah. You know? So that, that's good enough. And Rudy does end up calling. We get to be in position too, which helps a little bit. 
let's see what the solver says about this. Uh, it did want Rudy to bet, as I said. It does not want David to raise too often, but it never wants him to fold. It wants right. him to fold half a percent of the time. The rest of the time, 92.5% of the time, it wants him to call. And 7% it wants him to raise. Right. So mostly it's in the call camp, which is not something we were really talking about. No. Which is, which is I guess, just defense frequency thing and like yeah, having so. two back doors. Yeah. Otherwise, it's, it's afraid it's going to get pushed around by like small three bets and small C bets if we're not going to call. Like well, the solver doesn't know there was a three bet, but no, you're right. But but still, like the small the small sizing type right. stuff, and where we have two back doors in the over. I don't know. This hand just plays so much easier in position to to flow with, though. Yeah, I know. Even though the solver wants to not ever give up this hand, I'm fine with giving it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Me too. But it does want to raise seven percent of the time. It wants to. It likes Davis' decision better than my decision. That's right. That's true. That's yeah. a good point. Likes it. It likes it fourteen times as much as it likes my decision. Actually, mm-hmm. that's pretty impressive. That's a lot. Good job, David. Uh, so, yeah, it's okay with raising, just not very frequently. Right. Rudy does end up calling, and uh, the solver's like, yeah, you have to do that. 98% of the 98% time. 98% of the time, you have to call with two sevens here. We call. Yeah, even though we do block the most obvious semi-bluff. Mm-hmm. The pot is now going to be 51.9K. That kind of got big fast. Yeah, this is, this is, again, goes back to, like, where we were talking about David deciding to not just fold on the flop. Like, we're already starting to get to stack to pot issues where, like, it's not crazy to be all in by the river now. Like, we could easily get all in, you know? And, like, do we really want to do that on day one? Well, there, there are some meta factors there. Like, if you're actually a pro, it might be worth it to go for it in spots like this more often due to your hourly. Like, you could go play cash game. Yep. And, like, so, like, your, your tournament hourly is a weird thing where, like, most of the hours of the tournament that you actually play are not worth very much money, although right. they're all required in order to get to the hours that are worth money. Well, they're not all required. You can actually skip the first several hours. Oh, that's of the true. And, and many players do. Yeah. Right? And I think that's the way you're supposed to do it instead of tr- trying to bust. Right. <laughs> but I hear what you're saying, that there, there is something to what you're saying, especially on a day one, where upping the variance, maybe, maybe there's, it's more valuable to up the variance early rather than late, although most people don't do it that way. Right. I don't know. There's the there's the counterpoint, of course, which is if you look around the table and you're like everybody sucks, then you want to why would you up the variance? Yeah, just wait till you have something and then exploit them. It's going to be or or wait till there's a really good bluffing spot. Yeah, yeah. this like I don't think we're currently in a really good bluffing. No, we're in a kind of a random bluffing spot. Yeah, like seven percent says the solver. We say zero percent, right? Like so, it doesn't feel like it's going to be. It's a great bluffing spot. Like there's going to be so many good spots that we could be in, and so it's weird that we would. I don't know why we need to put ourselves in this situation that's all right anyway but we are and that that happens a lot in poker <laughs> people are in situations i wouldn't have necessarily put myself the other thing that happens a lot in poker is people playing on nitrogen sports so much and you know if you're if the virus has you down you yeah. don't have to go out to play on nitrogen sports you know what and thank god we included the link in the description of this podcast that takes you to nitrogen sports so when you sign up you don't just get the normal nitrogen sports experience, which includes poker and you know sports betting and casino games. You also get the poker guys version of it, which gets you extra freebies. In this case, it gets you access to our monthly tournament where it's not free, but it's nearly free. It costs a tenth of a millibit, which these days is, I guess it's 60 cents as of today, but it's usually never more than a buck, and uh, depending on the price of Bitcoin. But they guarantee a thousand buy-ins, a thousand buy-ins, and we usually get like 100 players. 
So that means there's 900 buy-ins of overlay, which is insane, and you should really be taking You can buy a lot of hand sanitizer for that. Oh, baby, a lot of surgical gloves. Yeah. <laughs> get on nitrogen because you get that. You also get to play all of their sports betting yeah. and all of their casino games. And if you use the link, they know you came from us, so we'd appreciate it. Yeah, definitely use the link to sign up, and uh, this is a great time to be playing online poker the next yeah. month or so. So get in there and do it. Get you some poker. Also, pretty good time to buy some Bitcoin, probably. Yeah, know? it's down. Yeah. It's so really, it probably is a really good time. Get in nitrogen, change that Bitcoin that you bought into more Bitcoin by winning. Yep. And then wait a little bit, cash out. Bitcoin's worth more anyway. You double your money. It's amazing. You're a genius. These things really happen. Congratulations, geniuses. Yeah. All right. So we've got the eight of spades, five of clubs, deuce of hearts flop. David Lappin has check raised king six of spades against Rudy and his two red sevens to 19.3K on the flop. The pot is now 51.9K. The turn is the five of spades. I don't know why I said it like that. Yeah, I don't know either. It pairs the five. It pairs the five and it gives a second spade. Gives David, David a flush draw, which is cool. Um, it's not a great card, though, from the bluffing point of view. From, from the analytical thinkers bluffing point of view yeah. it is not a great card i don't know if it matters against rudy but if it rudy is if rudy is putting david on the same range of value that we were putting david on on the that's flop problematic that's problematic because we've removed a bunch of combos now of our value now there's only one combo of five five remaining and there is only one combo of eight five suited remaining two combos because there's the eight of spades and the five of spades. Oh, so two combos still. Yeah. So that hasn't changed actually. No. Right. So so we lose, but we lose almost. We lose like eighteen percent of the value range. Right. Still with that card, that's not awesome. It is not. So, yeah. It and the story gets weird because if we had, let's say we had as David, check raised two queens here. Now I don't know if we would have, but maybe we would have against Rudy. Who knows? I don't know. If Rudy's sitting there thinking he can have two queens, right? He can have two kings. And then the five pairs, and then he bets again. He might be able to bet those hands, but you wouldn't be too worried about him going for a third street of value with like kings on a on a paired board where we can still have a five. Yeah, I mean we don't we really five we don't really know what Rudy's three betting range is, yeah. but based on the flop, Rudy is more likely to have a five than David. I agree because I don't see David check raising a five. It's possible Rudy can just have ace five suited or pocket fives, but it's possible he can have five six suited, five seven suited, four five suited, maybe eight five suited, maybe three five suited. I don't know. It's and, possible. And to be fair, I haven't seen David Lappin play before. Right. But knowing that he is a successful player and knows what he's doing, it makes me think he's not check-raising a five on the flop. I wouldn't expect him to be. Yeah. Now, maybe he, has, maybe he is. Maybe he has really good reasons to, but I can't currently think of any good reasons to. I will say that when... So Dara, who is his, um, his podcast mate, was actually doing the commentary for this as this hand was playing out. And he was saying that he thought David could have ace five here. I don't see how that's possible. He knows David better than we do. I think maybe Dara's fish and chips had just gotten there and he wasn't really thinking about it. <laughs> maybe it's that. Maybe, you know, sometimes it's weird if you're doing commentary on people you know and you want to say nice You want to give them, them a little justification. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I could see that if I was doing commentary and you were on the thing. I'd be like, yeah, I guess his value range isn't that thin. I would hope you would say things to defend me <laughs> when I, if I did you something. You know, he's playing the metagame. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we don't know is the truth. We don't, I know if, if you made this play, I would I could say really comfortably Grant never has ace five here. Yeah. And you could say that about me too, right? Yeah. Because we're not check raising middle pair in this spot. Not not when we're this deep. Right. Oh, right. Exactly. Yeah. We're this deep in this spot. It's just not happening. We're very comfortably ha- and happy to check call, feel really good about our spot. Right. Right. Um so anyway, so I think it's reasonable for us to guess without really knowing that that's the case here as well. Actually, we could look and see what the solver says about stuff like that with fives, I guess. 
We could, but I do mean, we want to? I don't really want now to. Now you've said can. it, though, so I guess you're going to do it's it. It's going to take a second for me to do it because the computer turned off. So talk about whatever you want to talk about. All right, so come back to it. fish and chips got me thinking. What is the optimal ratio of fish to chips in a fish and chips basket? Like, do we want three? You can't just talk about the hand. You have to talk. All right, we're, we're, I'm ready for you. <laughs> okay. Thank God. Okay, so the question was, would he be check-raising ace-five suited, right? Because that, that was something Daryl was yeah. saying. Okay, well, the solver is not interested in that. The solver is like us. It's calling 99% of the time with ace-five suited and raising, raising that. The, actually, sorry, it's, it's higher than 99. It's, it, depending on which suit it is, but it's, it's, 90, it's, a, it's 100% call or 99.2. It's really, really high. Right. right. All of this to say this five should not scare Rudy. If right. he thought he was ahead on the flop, he's supposed to still be ahead on the turn. Yeah, I'm just, just looking through the solver situation. Any five that wasn't two pair, so like eight five suitors, of course, different. Like, I guess seven five of spades, it's actually raising 16% of the time here, which is sort of interesting. Um, but that, and six five of spades, it's, oh, six five of spades. No, six five of spades, it's raising 82% of the time. So there's a few fives that can huh. have. Okay. Not six five of diamonds. Because six five of spades has got, I guess, um, some backdoor stuff going on. That's interesting, actually. Well, so it's got a, so the solver has a few fives. Okay, solver wants to cover the board, I guess. Even if that's the case, the five of spades comes on the turn. And if Rudy knew that the solver was doing it that way, he wouldn't be worried about the six five of spades. Uh, that's correct. No, I, that's a really good point. No, I would still, in practice, not be worried at all about the five pairing. I'd feel like that's good for me and my two sets. That limits the value range rather than expanding it. Exactly. In, in our opinion. Exactly. Yeah. But as David. We're in a practical world. We're not yes. in a solver world. And we're trying to figure out what's the easiest and best way to play this hand. And now that we've picked up the flush draw, our hand actually has some value. I know. And check calling doesn't feel like a good idea. I mean, if we check, we're essentially either calling, which seems really bad, out of position. We're going to put in too many chips. We're not going to be getting the right odds. Or we're, if we check, and it goes check, check. We're going to tell a really weird story to try and win the pot on the river if we don't improve. I think we have to bet now. Yeah. Even though practically our story is terrible, we still just have to do it. Yeah, I mean, maybe if we didn't pick up any equity, we could just give up. Yeah. But we picked up equity, and we don't want to give up this hand. And we might check and get blown off the hand because we won't be getting the right price. Absolutely. And like you said, if it goes check, check, we're telling a very bad story if we don't hit the river and we bet anyway. If he has an overpair, he's going to call, right? Yeah. I mean, it's just going to happen. So I, I think we just have to bet now, even though it's dumb. Yeah, it's, it's a bad spot. <laughs> it sucks, but we just have to bet. Well, he does. David bets 22K. Mm-hmm. Guess what? The solver hates it. It wants him to check 99.6% of the time. Isn't that interesting? Not only does the solver want that for um, the king six suited, it wants him to any... The other king six suited, which he could have done this with, it wants... The king six of diamonds and the king six of hearts, it actually wants him to... Uh, well, actually, the king six of diamonds specifically, which is the one that had no backdoors on the flop. So it almost was never going to be check raising. But when it does, it's like, oh, you're continuing with that hand. That hand's got nothing going on. Yeah, that's like, like one of your triple barrels. Yeah. Yeah. So that's interesting. 79% of the time it wants him to bet. But the other king sixes even are sort of like nothing. But the king six of spades specifically, the one that picks up all this equity is the one where it's like, oh, no, you never bet that one. Half a percent. 0.004%. What do you think about David's or, sizing? No, that's wrong. 22K into 51.9. I mean, I think he's trying to set up a shove on the river sometimes, right? Or at least the threat of a shove on the river. Yeah. Because otherwise, I don't know. This feels too small. But, uh, but you could say to yourself, all right, if I had pocket eights, right, I'd probably size it somewhere along Well, what does it look like Rudy has, I guess, is a good question. Feels like an overpair to me. Right. So Two jacks. If it is an overpair, I actually think the sizing's too big. 
if the whole point of this bet is to like not get blown off our equity, if we don't think Rudy's the type of guy who's going to raise an overpair, which yeah. most players aren't going to raise an overpair no, in this spot, no way. Maybe we should bet smaller. If like mainly our goal is to build a pot slash stay in the hand and, and keep yeah. the lead. So we get to set the price yeah. rather than, so instead of checking him betting 55% of the pot, we bet like 30% of the yeah. pot and we get to save 25% of the pot this time right. with a little bit of fold equity too. And we can still bet really big on the river. Yeah. We can even shove the river if we want, I guess. Yeah. What do you think about that? That makes a lot of sense to me. That makes a lot of sense. That's, that seems smart. That seems but, but I can see in practice, I've been in a spot like David before yeah. plenty of times with hands that I'm not supposed to show up with. I've, I've definitely done this lots of times. Yeah. And You're like, please I, I go always, away now. And I almost always do bet more than I raise to on the flop yeah. just because like, I feel in, in my head, I'm like, that's going to work better. You know? I, mean, I think it does work better. Yeah. If you bet smaller, it looks weaker, right? And yeah. you're, gonna get, you're usually going to get more calls. Makes sense. The more you bet, usually the more fold equity you have. And also, though, this does set up the threat of a shove as well as potentially a real shove yeah. on the river, which does have some value, too, if Rudy's able to f- see that. Some players don't see that coming. Rudy is a candidate for not seeing it coming. I don't know if he can see that or not. So as Rudy, we kind of have to call, right? When the five pairs and he fires again, first of all, we don't have to do anything, right? Yeah. Like, we could have folded the flop because we have two sevens and we blocked the most obvious draw. Yes, we could have. Um, the five pairs, he continues anyway. It's a weird thing because he's telling a bizarre story. It feels like he has a full house when yeah. he has value, right? Like, I wouldn't expect very many overpairs here. It feels like eights full, deuces full, or quads. Yeah. I mean, I might tell myself I should just fold because it's early in this tournament. We're still deep, and there's no reason to play a huge pot with this marginal hand. Yeah. I think I might just talk myself into that. I think I, I would have folded the flop if I was going to do that, though. Well, the thing is, you have to call with some hands on the flop that you fold on the turn. I know. This this is a reasonable candidate for that. Like, we block the draws. We have better overpairs that we can call with. You know, we have have hands that block the full houses, unlike this, too. We have hands with an eight in them and a hand with a deuce in them, like ace-deuce suited. Like, those those play way better right now, I think, than two sevens. Actually, sevens are the hand I think I I most want to fold now that I think about it. I'm sort of talking myself into this. Right, but the same thing applies on the flop. It does, but the difference is on the flop, we've got so many more hands that we've C-bet that we can fold, where sevens is like distribution-wise, higher, yeah. way, way, way yeah, higher up. That's that's fair. Um, so Because you got to fold the chunk each, each yeah. of the way through. So like sevens, I think, make the first cut and don't make the second cut is what happens there. That's my belief. Anyway. It is also my belief, yeah. but in practice, you're almost never playing against a perfect GTO bot, and... Often I'm kind of following through on the turn on a card that reduces the value combos. Yeah. You know, and I, but I understand why sevens would, would be in the range of hands that you would want to fold. Yeah. I certainly get that. And I understand your point too about how it clearly, re- and the story is bad. Yeah. And so it makes me want to call. So that, that's my, that's my back and forth. I think because I block the, the most obvious draw, it makes me want to throw it away though. Yeah. That makes sense. The solver wants Rudy to fold 43% of the time. Yeah. Solver doesn't really know what it wants. Wants him to call 24% of the time and wants him to raise 33% of the time. Yeah. Solver's I don't understand why the hell you would ever raise. You block seven, five. I mean, that's all I got. Seven, five suited. I don't know either why it would want to raise 33% of the time. But I mean, what it really looks like is the solver's just like, you know, have a balanced strategy because none of it, like we're in a place where nothing makes sense. (laughs) Up is down. Black is white. I don't know. Do everything because nothing there. None of this is clear to me. You know, um, the solver mostly wants to fold. When I say mostly, it's forty three percent. That's the that's the plurality of the percentages anyway. I guess that's not mostly, um, but all these things are close enough that it's almost like flipping a coin and picking. You know, with these sevens, 
It's weird. You know, other, some of the other pocket sevens, by the way, are even higher, a higher percentage. Seven of diamonds, seven of clubs is 57% fold, interestingly mm. enough. But it also, but the raise percentages are also, you know, 30% on almost all of them. So, yeah, I don't know, man. It w- I would probably fold because it's a long tournament. It's probably a good structure still. I'm still deep. I don't need to play a huge pot. Yeah. I think that's why I'd fold. But maybe if you're Rudy and you're aware that you're not very good, maybe you should call. If I'm Rudy, I'd probably say like, eh, can't I just have two tens here and call so much? And then I don't block six, seven, and then I have a better hand. And I don't know. I anyway, Rudy don't. calls. Yeah, Rudy calls. David hates it, obviously. Oh, my God. Hates it so much. How much did you hate that, David? I know he's listening. He must have hated that. Oh, David, I'm sorry. That, that must have just felt terrible. It's a bad moment. He's at least, at least I hit the spade, though. I have outs now. Yeah, you but know? you always know you're not going to get there. You never get there. You, feel it. you can feel that you're not going to get there. It is incredible to get there in these spots, though, where you... You're like, how did that happen? Or, oh, God. <laughs> how did it's I do like, that? This really just happened. This is amazing. He's never going to put me on spades. Yeah. <laughs> this is the best. It's true. Anyway, he doesn't get there. No. Pot is 96K, and the river is the four of diamonds. Again, the flop was eight of spades, five of clubs, deuce of hearts. The turn was the five of spades. The river is the four of diamonds. Notably, six, seven got there. Yes. Now it's good to block 6-7 when you're Rudy. Yes. Now we're back to it being... Congratulations, Rudy. Yep. Because David moves in. Yeah. Now, should he move in? Well, he also blocks 6-7, which is good. Yes, he does. He has king-6. At the same point, a few things really like stand out to me. One is this. It's still early in the tournament. How much did we shove for? 85.7 into 96. So we have... Yeah, 86 blinds. I think we have to question if we needed to move in. Oh, that's a great point. Like, could we bet could, 55? Could we bet 40K and still have 45K, which is 45 blinds, if we don't get it through? You would hate to bet 40K and have Jack's tank call. Right. And, the, and like moving in is going to make Jack's fold more. Yeah, right? maybe. And it really looks like we're up against a hand like that. Yeah. So the thing is, what are aces and kings going to do? Are, the move-in, I think, gives you a chance to fall out all those one pair of hands. Yeah, that's, that's fair. So I think you probably have to move in, or, or nearly... Maybe you just have to completely move in. Maybe you can bet 71K, you know? Something like that. Because it's basically moving in, but every time he's called, he still gets to have 14 blinds yeah. and have a shot. Yeah. Maybe that's a better play. But, I mean, if you're the skilled guy at the table, I just don't know why we need to move in right here. I mean, I know why, because the pot's big and we get to win a nice pot, but like... If you're the skilled guy at the table and you win this pot, you can bully the table for a while. Yeah, but you're going to have 86 blinds anyway. You can yeah. still play all the hands. I mean... True, true. If you're better than the table, I mean, you'll do better if you win this pot, of course, but like, I'm just worried that we're up against an amateur who may not fold the overpair, you know? I'd, I'd be concerned about that, and like, it's kind of a terrible way to go out of this tournament, I think, is if we like just went out in this hand for no real reason. I mean, something that we haven't yet talked about, which is kind of... yeah maybe not as exciting as the rest of, of the factors, but this could be during the re-entry period. Oh, that is a really good point. If this is a re-entry tournament, which it really could be. That I makes guess. the bluff a little worse, though, because yeah. our opponent is more likely to call. He's going to not fold aces most of the yeah. time now, right? But at least it gives it makes the whole, like, your, your chips are precious thing a little bit less of a thing, too, from our end, right? Right. So in that way, it makes the bluff a little better. It's got, it's got two sides to it. I would mostly, though, re- in, in these re- rebuy period stuff, I would refrain from making these plays. To because, be clear, I don't know if this is a re-entry tournament yeah. or if they're in the re-entry period, if right. it is a re-entry tournament, but that could be a factor. The blinds being what they are, although the stacks being what they are, makes me think they're probably, if there's a re-entry period, they're probably still in it. Yeah. Right. Also, that fact the table isn't filled up yet right. seems to point to that. Um, Okay, if it, 
let's just do this way. If it's a reentry period, I think it's probably worse ultimately because, because our opponent is more likely to say fuck it and call it. I see too many guys do that. Yeah, like they're just like making a big play in these in any these rebuy periods is almost never a good move. Like making a really big bluff, they right. just call way too much because they don't care. Yep. Um, they, I mean, so it means you just go for max value when you have it instead. That's the move. Yeah, so, this is something that is often overlooked in the analysis of tournament poker hands is, is the factors like this. These are important factors. There's this incredible tournament that runs twice a year near us that we may never get to play again for reasons that we won't yeah, get into. Yeah, other reasons. Um, but it has an add-on after six 50-minute levels. Mm-hmm which is an incredible bubble to abuse if you have any chips. <laughs> like factors like that in tournaments are incredible because yeah. there's the add-on and it's a, it's a freeze out. So you can't re-enter. You get 40k chips to enter and you get 30k for the add-on, which is like about one third of the entry fee yeah. initially. So it's chips at a huge discount. It's an incredible spot to bully. It's like almost better than an actual bubble. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> and like those are factors that a lot of live live tournament players need to be taking into account to maximize value. Mm-hmm. And so it's a good question to know whether or not there's a re-entry period here and if, if they're in it. I think we should assume there isn't because we don't know that there is. Um, I, it makes me like this play a little bit better than it is, if there isn't one. But, but then it goes back to the other side of it, which is like if I'm the best player at the table, I still have 86 blinds. I, can, I, I just want to give up here. I mean, I've wanted to give up on every street, basically, um, except the turn. Yeah. Because I just like... On the flop and on the river, just because, like, I just want to, like, take advantage of these guys. And if they're going to make it easy for me, why do I have to do this super hard, you know, double flip move right now when I can just do very basic, you know, calisthenics and win? Yeah. So my inclination would be to give the hell up, personally. How about you? We, yeah. We, we have put ourselves in this spot. Let's remember. I think... We're here. I think, honestly, if it's a reentry period, I would tend towards going for it. Like from yeah. my perspective of like, I can just buy back in. Well, now, now that you've built the pot this big, yeah. I understand why you'd, why you'd do that. Yeah. Like maybe I can get him to fold two. Maybe it's tens and I can fold them out or something. And this is where like all this solver stuff and GTO stuff is so much less valuable. It's really about knowing what type of opponent you have. And in yeah. a tournament like this, it might be a guy you've never met before, which is where you have to kind of rely on your reads and stereotypes of people based on like how they put the chips in the pot and stuff like that and hope that you're right. Yeah. And then be like, okay, this is the type of guy who doesn't count combos mm-hmm. or this is the type of guy who does yeah. and make a decision based on that. Cause if it's the type of guy who does count combos and puts you on being a player who has a reasonable check raising range on the flop, it's probably not a good idea to go for it. Mm-hmm. But if it's a guy who doesn't count combos and is just like, ah, I don't want to lose. Maybe it's a really good time to go for right. it. You know, it's, right. it's hard to know. I feel like most of the time, and obviously it's different for different players. And, and for some people playing in this, like this, what is this? A $500 yeah. entry fee Euro. for some people. Okay. But for some people, that's like a really big deal and it's their main event. And then for other people, they don't care at all. Right. You know, and knowing who's who really matters. I definitely know people on both sides of that. I know people right. will enter this thing nine times, you know? Right. Like, and I, and I see other people who I've seen, I put in the, the tournament that we, you were referring to that we played twice a year, which is ultimately what I think at the time was an $1,100 buy-in, but now it's down to like 800, 800. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I think it was 1100 at this point where I saw a guy like in level three raise pre-flop hit King Jack. The flop was King, King, Queen, and he folded on the flop. Like it was raised, but like still he folded to some dude who limped, 
who just had limp preflop. And I'm like, what are you doing? How could you fold that? Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I remember saying that he tanked for minutes. And I'm like, if you have ace queen, you should fold. If you have a king, you should call. I don't know what we're talking about here. And the guy showed it King Jack and threw it away. And I remember thinking, that can't be right. Maybe it was. I don't know. The other I never played with the other guy, but it seemed impossible to me. You know, that, that could be a good play. <laughs> he like raise folded the flop. Anyway. So ultimately, David must have put Rudy on being a guy like that. Yeah. Or like maybe not that extreme, but of similar ilk. Yeah. And uh, goes for it. Yeah. He goes for 85.9K into 96K. Should David go for it? The solver thinks no. The, the solver sol- is super not into it, specifically with this King 6 suited. It would rather have him do with all the other King 6 suited. Over 90% of the time, it's going all in. With King 6 of spades... 4% of the time is well, going on. Well, there's a really good reason for that. Yes, of course. Because we block the flush draw, which yeah, like, is a hand that Rudy's going to snap fold. Having two spades in our hand blocks that flush draw pretty hardcore, and that's really a hand we want him to have right now. Yeah. So Although it's bad. hard to think of flush draws Rudy could have based on calling the flop, but whatever. Yeah, it, that's true. Four, three, four spades, maybe. That's about it. Although we don't block that anyway, I guess, if we're coming up with specific yeah. ones. Um, yeah, he would have had to call the raise with like... Over over card spades, I guess. Ace six of spades or king queen of spades or something. Yeah. Ace queen of spades. Either way, that has to be the reason the solver wants to give up with this specific yeah. king six. Oh, for sure it is. But David goes for it anyway. And it works. Yes, Rudy does fold two sevens. And uh, Rudy is supposed to fold, according yeah. to the solver, 99% of the time. I understand why he folds. It's not a, an incredible story from David, but it is a story that, like, once he actually takes all of these actions of going for four streets effectively, it's like, well, it makes it a lot more likely that he actually has one of those value hands. Eight's full. Feels like eight's full all day, yeah. right? Yeah. And uh, the solver wants Rudy to fold this, but it really wants him to call with anything that hit the board, an eight deuce or five. A five is obvious because you have trips and it's too high in your distribution. A deuce is the best example of we have a blocker to one of his most likely value holdings, so we have to call with his hand. It's really cool, right? Because a lot of times when we, in the past, back in the day when we would talk about distribution, we would always think about it just in terms of rank of hand, right? And like we eventually got more sophisticated with that. But here's such a good example of ace-deuce, it, it's calling. It's calling, nine, it's calling almost 100% of the time. Pocket sevens is folding almost 100% of the time. Pocket sevens is clearly a better hand. But when you think about the range of hands that's moving in on the river for value, Ace-deuce and pocket sevens are doing the same against it. And to be even more extreme about it, the solver wants to fold kings. Right. It wants to call with a deuce and fold kings. Right, because kings block nothing, and the, you have a deuce in your hand, it blocks two combos of deuces full, which is just a huge deal right now. Now yeah. you're basically only losing to aces full and quad fives. Right. And it's like, that's great. We can call with that. Any eight in your hand, you're always calling, but queens, you got to fold. I mean, it's pretty interesting. Yeah. Right. Because that's not how we think about it. I think as humans, well, at least most of us, right? Um, it's really cool. Yeah. And I don't really know what Rudy's level of sophistication is. We haven't given him enough credit, perhaps, throughout this hand. It's possible he's better than we've given him credit for. Mm-hmm. Because I think he did ultimately make a decision that turned out to be practically wrong, but I think is the right decision overall. Yeah. I think David was trying to bully the amateur, mm-hmm. and it worked out, I think. Yeah. And ultimately, David did end up going pretty deep in this event. He got 13th. Oh, wow. Well, I wonder if he did this bully ball the whole way through or if he, like, settled back in. Maybe this is just David's thing. Is he's just like, I'm crazy. Yeah, maybe he'll... Maybe, maybe this is just normal for him. Maybe he'll let us know. Yeah. Looking forward to hearing from you, David.